Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Today's a special day. It's Tuesday, and everyone that listens in knows that on the Employment Matters podcast, that means Travel Tuesday. Each week, we get the chance to bring our local ELA members into the conversation. They're from all around the world, and they share with us important things we need to know about doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be traveling to learn more about doing business in India, and I'm pleased to welcome the show, Atul Gupta, a partner at TriLegal. Atul, we've known each other a long time. I'm super excited to have you on the show today to tell us a little bit about your country. Thanks, Peter. It's lovely to be here, and I'm very keen to talk about India to all our members and everyone else who's listening in. Wonderful. Let's start with the big picture. Give us a sense of the jurisdiction, its economy. I know there's a huge population there, maybe something about the government. Give us your details of what you think we need to know to get started. Sure. So I think, you know, what a lot of popular culture tells about India, right, is just the very tip of the iceberg. Like you said, we are a large country with a large population, 1.3 billion plus on last count. And we are the largest democracy in the world. We are fairly multicultural, multi-religious, but secular. We have many different states, each with a different language, each with different cuisines, attire, behaviors, and climates. So, you know, seeing India as one consolidated common country is often a mistake. And doing business in India is therefore as much about, you know, acute business acumen as it is about cultural sensitivity. So the ones who actually succeed in India are the ones who can sort of understand people and its culture and the territories and regions that they're working in well. And this also translates a lot into employment laws, right? We have central laws as well as straight laws. We are a a federal republic, meaning which both our federal government as well as state governments create laws. And very often the state laws are completely different from what you might see in, in, let's say, a city like Bangalore, where I am versus what you might see in a place like Mumbai or Delhi or or Hyderabad, right? These are different cities, different states. So any organization which is sort of looking to do business in India and set up presence in different parts of the country will need to bear in mind that there's going to be a sort of array of different central and state laws, right, that they would have to comply with. If I were to talk about the economy briefly, if... We've been a a socialist country. I mean, our constitution states that we are a socialist country. And those ethos have sort of stayed in our legislative and judicial thinking for decades. Now, capitalism and large-scale private enterprise has truly come to India only in the 1990s after our economy was liberalized. Now, given our socialistic ethos, you know, it's been some work over the last three decades to sort of shape our judicial thinking to cater to the typical requirements of private enterprise. But I think we're getting there. You know, India has grown as a very robust economy over the last few decades. As far as international statistics were to be looked at, right? IMF The International Monetary Fund believes that India is likely to become the third largest economy in the world by 2028. And that's something which is very exciting to everyone here. If I were to look at my own firm, Trilegal, right, and and what we do, we are a full-service firm and we've 
done some big ticket marquee MA work over the years, including recently, right? We've been extremely busy. And we've seen that just in the first nine months of 2022, the MA activity in India has touched an all-time high compared to prior years. So, you know, India is, is a country which is now going to be increasingly in the center of a lot of global operations, right? All major corporations have either a presence in India or want to have a presence in India. And I think we have done and will continue to do a lot to make India a very attractive destination to be in and to do business in. You know, when I think about a country the size of India or China or the United States, one of our questions that our listeners always want to know is, well, what are some of the key industries in the jurisdiction? And that's kind of like me saying, so how many stars are in the sky over India at night? I mean, it's a huge (laughs) country with all the different things you mentioned. But if you had to pull out two or three or four industries that really have put India on the economic map, but also in really created a kind of a world presence in what you've got extreme capability. And what would those be? Yeah. So that's a very good question, Pete, because, you know, this is constantly developing in, in my mind, right? If I were to pick two broad categories, I would say the information technology and IT industry is certainly the front leader when it comes to having put India on the international map, right? Phrases like, work being bangalore although they have a bit of a negative connotation right but what they they do reflect is the fact that india is a preferred destination for a lot of businesses right wanting to do operations be it core r&d be it just back office support be it anything on the broad domain of it its right india is one of the most well known destination for that kind of work and i would say that this industry has blossomed over the last two odd decades, it's contributing to a significant part of our economic growth, to the number of people that are hired, and to the development of our cities, right? Where I am is referred to as the Silicon Valley of, of India. And very often you will find that Indian talent is now playing a significant role or is in fact at the very top of some of the biggest and the most well-known technology corporations in the world today. So in the Pichai, Nadela, there's, there's no shortage of, of examples to give. The other industry that I think was always prominent, but I think lost focus somewhere along the way, but has now come back into a significant amount of prominence is the manufacturing sector. With the government and its focus on make in India, there is a huge shift to using India as a, as a key manufacturing hub and base. And the government is doing a lot in terms of policy and regulatory measures to make it easy to come into India and to do business. Manufacturing requires large parcels of land. It requires trained and educated manpower. It requires access to stable electricity and other resources. And, and I think as a country... We've been well-placed to offer all of this and to revive our manufacturing over the last few years, right? And and that's only bound to grow. I would say these are the two key sectors that I would like to talk about, really. If I were to, you know, do a deeper dive into these sectors, you will see that, you know, 
for example the fintech industry has grown significantly over the last few years e-commerce has boomed in the manufacturing space you are seeing increasing amount of you know manufacturing happening in in the automotive space and more recently in the semiconductor space right so you know these are the areas where there is certainly a huge amount of development and opportunity that everyone should be sort of mindful of so let's talk about what it's like to bring a business to india i'm a company let's say i'm coming in from europe or the united states or really anywhere but i need to understand what some of the key structural issues are that we need to address when we employ locally and you brought up some very interesting things at the beginning like in the us there's strong federal guidelines but depending on the state that you go into there's other regulations that the state might have that might trump federal guidelines or there may be no federal guidelines around certain issues and they leave all of that up to the state so help us understand as an international employer employing locally in india what do we need to know about key employment law issues and what are some of those yeah sure so you know given the large number of laws in india employment laws in specific what organizations need to really do is sort of chart out a map of what their activities are going to be and where they're going to be right so when you're looking at india as a destination you know you will firstly need to pick a place as to where do you want to set up an office where do you want to hire people what is the nature of your operations if you were a tech company very good chances you're going to do all of that in one of the tech hubs if you were a manufacturing entity you would pick up you know opportunities in areas in those states where manufacturing is is getting that impetus right you would firstly need to sort of chart out where you want to do operations what kind of operations you want to do and that will give you a good sense of what laws labor laws you will have to comply with now if i were let's say a manufacturing setup i would then be very careful about ensuring that i have complied with the factories act this is a sector where the the possibility of creation of unions is much larger as compared to other service industries i would therefore be mindful of what those laws are how do i comply with those i would be mindful of of rules and laws that might be pertinent to hiring and termination of employment so if i were to sort of dig deeper for example india by constitution allows all citizens or guarantees freedom of association to all citizens right so creating a union in india is not at all a difficult task i don't need to necessarily prove a certain employee status etc right that certain benchmarks that you might see in, in other countries so if i were to operate in a sector where there is a greater incidence of potential union formation i need to make sure right that i am planning for it how am i creating my contracts and policies how am i ensuring that my workforce is happy if there is indeed unionization do i have the correct systems and processes in place to handle that india is a country where there is no concept of an at will termination so you cannot terminate your staff for no reasonable cause and in fact in certain situations where the reasons for termination might amount to misconduct there are pretty detailed expectations on how you would go about such dismissals because they are stigmatic in nature they can create a a significant black mark on an individual's employment history it might impact their future employability so the law expects you to do detailed disciplinary inquiries now these are the types of things that one needs to be mindful of when you are planning a setting up of operations 
in the manufacturing setup, if you have more than 100 workmen, which limit might revise to 300 once the labor codes are in place, you cannot retrench a single worker without prior government permission. Now, that's an extremely restrictive provision, which has been long criticized, right? Now, of course, there is options that the government is offering through the new labor codes. You know, there's going to be ability to hire fixed term employees. You know, there's some flexibilities that are coming in around hiring of contingent or contract workers. So if you were looking at India as a destination, I would strongly recommend doing some basic homework in terms of your operations, where you want to set up, how many people you want to hire, and then sort of create a plan of action that, okay, these are the types of laws that I'm likely to comply with. This is how I want to structure my contracts and policies, my compensation and benefits. These are the laws that because of the fact they apply to me, I need to have compliance mechanisms around, right? How do I go about that, right? I don't want to create any liabilities for my management, right? So that's how I would recommend organizations approach it in part because of the highly large number of employment laws really that one needs to be mindful of. You know, on average, any entity looking to do business in India in one state will have about 15 to 20 employment laws applying to them. If they are doing business in in multiple states, right, and they have a large headcount, that number can just magnify significantly. Wow. So that's an interesting thought. You know, if we think of India and all of its vast resources and how pro-businesses is and how many organizations are either hubbing there or resourcing there, fantastic growth opportunities in the next decade. But then you think about when you do get there and you've got to employ employees, man, there can be a lot of things you've got to look at that you didn't expect. So if from your perspective, we put pro-business on one side of the scale and pro-employee on the other side of the scale, how would you say that the scale tips in India? Is it more pro-business or is it more pro-employee? I would say that that's a fine balance, really. I would on the whole say that the employment laws are pro-employee. I would be remiss in pointing out that that's how, that's the underlying ethos basis which employment laws were created, right? We are, as I was saying earlier, a socialist country. Uh, The preamble of our constitution says we are a socialist country. And that has been the thinking that has gone into the creation of our employment laws, which are decades old, right? And that's also shaped our judicial thinking. But I think there is a, a good balance today because in practice, while the laws are very pro-employee in certain aspects, like you know the ability to terminate a person in a manufacturing setup above a certain size requires permission. Right now, that is a very pro-employee provision. But there are also a lot of options that have sort of been developed through innovation at the entities and or through the backing of court precedents, right, which give organizations or flexibility to deal with these kinds of situations, right? So I think that we are at a stage where there is a better balance than maybe it was two decades ago. It's to the extent that I would say in certain industries, you could almost say that the environment is more pro-business than pro-employee and also depending on which state you're operating in, right? So for example, in some states, management level employees are completely exempt from employment laws. In some states, they aren't. So that's the kind of fine homework that you would want to do to sort of pinpoint which state is more pro-business and which isn't. Some states have 
better limits on overtime laws. They have greater flexibility on seeking exemptions. Others may not. Some states have more well-tuned rules and laws around union recognitions. Others don't. So I think there is a fair bit of balance. Courts have also been proactive in taking measured views right, on employment disputes, while typically at a lower level, you will find that judges tend to be more pro-marginalized employees who are sort of assumed to be in a harder position than an employer is. At a higher level in our judiciary, you do find that, you know, the sentiment is less of a driving force behind any kind of actual ruling on a dispute or a judgment. And it's more driven on actual facts. So I would say that we are in a good place. I would like to also add that the government is sort of very proactively now trying to change the narrative a little bit, right? Because it's often said that, you know, India is very pro-employee, it's very pro-unions, etc., the government is trying to change the narrative to, to make it clear that, see, we, we think that there is a need for a good balance. You can't be skewed in one side anywhere. And that's where I think the labor codes, the proposed labor codes that have been in the works for some years are likely to play an important role where the government has tried to achieve a better balance in certain respects to allow organizations slightly greater flexibilities, like, for example, fixed-term hiring, relaxation of rules around certain contract workers and, you know, who is treated as a contract worker, electronic filings and record-keeping, decriminalization of of various offenses. So on the whole, there is a a clear and concerted effort to try and make laws more pro-business or at least more balanced, right? so that the organizations feel confident about doing business in India. So this is one of the places on the bucket list that as large as it is and as appealing as my wife and I have never made it to India. So, you know, we've been a lot of places. The ELA, as everyone who listens in knows, we have 175 members. We can go pretty much into any country and bump into one of our members. But even though you and I have known each other for a decade, I've never been to India. So let's talk about traveling to India. Let's talk about business opportunities, cross-border Is it easy to get into India? What are some of the standards, visas, expats? Tell us a little bit about that whole climate, if you would. Yeah, I mean, I think of the various countries in the world that, let's say the Western world, if I were to use that phrase broadly, right, where to want to travel into. India is is certainly one of the few countries which is fairly easy to get into. We do not have a very, very complicated immigration regime, right? So, Most visitors in India would fall into the bucket of either being tourists or being business travelers or coming to India on an employment visa, right, for employment opportunities. There is very limited list of countries that India doesn't sort of actively prefer travelers from, you know, and that's, like I said, a very limited list of countries where we might have had political and actual, you know, battles with some of our neighbors maybe. But on the whole, the... India as a country is very welcoming. There's a saying in Sanskrit, Atithi Devo Bhava, which is translated, it means your guest is like your God. And I think that sort of reflects in our policies as well. I rarely hear of situations where people wanting to visit the country are denied visas. Of course, the, the procedures can take some planning. They do require the right documentation and paperwork which isn't special to India, really. I mean, that's the case all over the world. But it's also been made easier. Now there is an 
electronic visa regime that has been implemented for several years now, which makes it very easy for visitors from many parts of the country to visit India without consular physically stamped visas, right? So you can go up to the relevant government portal, apply for an electronic visa to, to travel on either business or for tourism, right? And, and that makes it quite easy for you to enter the country. So it's, like I said, a fairly welcoming country. We fully sort of acknowledge and respect that, you know, the, the economy is at a phase of growth and it requires a lot of cross-border movement and opportunities. And we've sort of made sure that our policies are aligned to that. Very often, you know, there are country-specific rules that one needs to be mindful of before you choose to travel to India because, you know, there might be country-specific agreements or disagreements which might shape up policies for limited periods of time. But other than that, it isn't too difficult to really come to India either for leisure or for business, for sure. Employment visas can require the necessity for an Indian sponsor, certain minimum thresholds in terms of whether the person who's coming to India is doing actual skilled work for which, you know, there aren't enough Indians already, that they are actually well paid. There is a salary threshold for that. Right. So some of those requirements will have to be borne in mind, but again, not extraordinarily complicated. Well, that's encouraging. I'll make sure I mention that at my next coffee break with Kathy about, you know, we can get into the country and we know a lawyer that we can connect <laughs> with to make sure everything is smooth. Atul, as always, it's great to chat with you. I'm so glad we had some time to share your story with our friends online here at Employment Matters. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Absolutely, Pete. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Atul, you can find his bio by clicking on his name in the description of this podcast. Also visit ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to our on-demand content in the online library, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers, the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks so much for listening.